Greater Joy Podcast, brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church, because we want for our people what Jesus wants for them, and that is to know greater joy by stepping into the areas that bring no greater joy for God's people, and that's being a 24-7 worshiper, a go person, and an alongsider. I am Pastor Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace, and my mighty teammate right across the table, Ryan Adkins, associate pastor here at Grace. That's right. Uh, so a huge thanks to... Our tech master, Dan Craniag, he's a member here at Grace, producing this podcast, making it sound smart and good. Um, so we wanted to take a few, take this episode and kind of review for Samuel as a church. Uh, so we're recording this before Bob would say maybe mid-January, mm-hmm. and we uh, finish our study through the first of Samuel mid-December. So it's been about a month. And I think this episode will come out pretty quickly after we record this. And we just thought, you know what, before we move on, and, uh, you know, we've we've had a Christmas series, we're doing our own vision series as a church, being gospel-oriented, uh, wanted to take a minute and say, hey, let's not run too far from 1 Samuel. There's a lot there that is worth remembering. And so we thought we would uh, take a few minutes and take this episode and just kind of review what we learned Big picture wise, through the book of First Samuel. So I think we want to start off with just thinking, what are some of the great moments in First Samuel, right? What, what do you got? What's one of those great moments that you look back and you're like, ah, I'm not going to forget this. This was great. I think, you know, you got to think it's been. I mean, we were in that book for a little over a year, right? Like, when did we start in First Samuel? I don't know. It's it's been a while, right? So. You gotta like get in the way back machine here, but I would say like the Ark uh, of the Covenant coming back to Israel, coming out of Philistine possession and back, like there's a, a great moment. I liked how yeah it's taken captive, mm-hmm. and it kind of sets this tone of the Ark. God doesn't need His people to bring mm-hmm. them back; yeah. He just orchestrates it, yeah, and they bring it back. Yep, I one of the great moments is uh, Saul <laughs> goes on a donkey hunt. And I, you know, I titled that message, It's Not About the Donkeys. And, I don't know, that's one of those titles that I always, I was like, I was really proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to forget that title because I think it's, but it's so real. He goes hunting for his dad's donkeys <laughs> and he returns king, the first king, chosen king. And uh, but God is just orchestrating Saul's life. All right, go get the donkeys, but it's not about the donkeys. Mm-hmm. God's bringing him, picking him. Um, he's the king, mm-hmm. and he meets Samuel, and it's almost like, and then he finds himself at a dinner, and he's at the <laughs> head of the table. Like, what in the world's going on here? And like everybody's been waiting for him, and then on his way out of town, Samuel's like, hey. All your buddies, they go off, hang on here. God's chosen you to be king. And uh, and the donkeys have been found. Now your dad's worried about you. So go home. Uh, I thought that was a... Yeah, I like that about the donkeys. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of uh, one of the messages I preached. It was where Jonathan's... Just the display of Jonathan's faith as he, you know, climbs up this gap and, and takes on the Philistines with just himself and his armor bearer and how that just becomes a, a moment of, it's really like a swinging moment in 
in the narrative uh, where Saul is kind of stumbling a little bit and Jonathan's faithful and uh, he's pursuing what he believes God is is asking him to do and how he really kind of starts like a mini revolution in a way against the Philistines that have they made advances and now he's pushing back and yeah and, and the you, as you're reading through that and we're really kind of introduced to Jonathan right mm-hmm. there and it's right after a moment where Saul doesn't have faith mm-hmm. and it's a kind of a cool twist that the author puts into the book like okay maybe Saul's not going to be the kind of king that they need so who's going to be the next king oh it's got to be Jonathan and he really sets Jonathan up as like, wow, he he's gonna be the man for God. He's gonna be this guy, and it really shows a lot about Jonathan. One of the things I think also just with Jonathan's humility and his friendship mm-hmm. with David. I mean, Jonathan culturally is next in line. Realizes David's gonna be the king, and there's no amount of pride in him. It seems mm-hmm. he's like David. You're the man. You're the guy. And the friendship that they have, I think, is another one of the great mm-hmm. moments. It's uh, says, it's like the book doesn't say a lot about Jonathan. The author doesn't provide a lot. But what he provides, Jonathan is a massive person. Mm-hmm. The, the friendship and the encouragement, uh, how he intercedes and advocates for David with King Saul, with his dad, um, I mean, even Jonathan gets a spear thrown at him. Because, and, and the accusation that he gets from his dad, you know, you're siding with him. Um, I don't know. Jonathan was a, was a great friend to David. I think that's a high moment. I think it says a lot about him. And it's cool that you have two guys that have that friendship when a lot of, uh, I think, men could benefit from some good friendships today. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think then... Kind of thinking through the book, like David and Goliath, obviously, you know, probably the most well-known passage in this book, and one that, you know, I think it was your son that preached on that, right? He did, yeah. Yeah, and I actually think I was out of town that weekend, so I didn't get to see how he did, but yeah. Yeah, I, you know, what resonates with me with David and Goliath is not the fact that, yes, a stone that he slung hit Goliath in the head, but just David as a young kid, like really takes a spiritually mature view of what's happening about this guy defying the armies of, like, who's this guy to say this to God and his people? Like, no, you're, why, why are we letting this happen? And here's a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you walk away, all right, don't underestimate our youth and how God can be using our youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love the spiritual kind of posture that he takes. Um, one of the high moments is Abigail. Mm-hmm. One of that I was just thinking, uh, just <clears throat> her tact and her wisdom. You have one of the low moments in David's life where he's angry and jealous. He feels disrespected. Uh, by uh, Nabal, Nabal, and Abigail in her wisdom intercedes on behalf of her husband, who's a fool. <laughs> and But she steps in between, preserves her husband, but also preserves David. And 
I think that was a great moment. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that one. Thinking through now, obviously we've got great moments. What about some little low moments? Some of the low moments. What comes to mind? Um, I think the book starts with a low moment. Um, just Hannah and her her barrenness and her sorrow. Uh, I mean, I, I remember that was the very first message, obviously, was just this scenario of, and I think, you know, a lot of our ladies, but a lot of a lot of us can identify, maybe not specifically with Hannah's barrenness, but just deep, deep sorrow, and having nowhere to go, but just crying out to God, and our crying out to God can be an act of worship. Mm-hmm. But the low moment of just her bareness, which reflected the situation of of Israel at the time, coming out of the period of the judges. But you have Hannah's bareness, but you also have this marriage. I mentioned Abigail is a high moment with Abigail, but just the nature of her marriage, I think, is a low moment. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you walk away and you look at that and you're just like, oh, that, oh, man. Why why are they in these situations? Mm-hmm. I just feel like those were kind of some sad moments. Mm-hmm. But what, what about you? Even thinking of like Saul's situation and his kind of disposition throughout the book, you know, kind of has these moments of self-reliance and manipulation, trying to um, really self-preserve like himself. You know, self-preservation kind of seemed to be his big thing. Um, and just, we kind of see, you know, spoiler alert at the end of the book, where that leads him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, Saul is a tragedy. Yeah. It's a sad story. It was, it was, it was sad to see him just deteriorate Mm -hmm. from being chosen as king. That's not about the donkeys and God is just orchestrating things to his just complete rejection of God. And he goes to that medium and he is just an utter hopeless despair. You know, it's one thing for like Hannah and Hannah to be in despair and sorrow over her barrenness, David to be in despair because of what Saul's doing. Mm-hmm. But Saul is like in despair without hope. Yeah. Because, because he's, he's rejected, rejected Yahweh mm-hmm. as king, as his lord. And I don't know. That, that was, that was, that was, he truly is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. That was a little, that was really bad. I think Eli's family is another low, right there at the beginning of the book. I think it highlights the the depravity that is there during the period of the judges and how low it had gotten that here are these priests in total contempt. And I, you know, I think that kind of sets a tone for the book, their contempt toward the things of God, the weightiness of God that they're just giving no respect and attention to. And how they're manipulating their people, um, all for their own selfish gain. Mm-hmm. But then also, what's Eli doing? He's he didn't do anything about it. <laughs> and that's another set. I mean, just yeah, um, yeah another little moment. Like kind of punting. Family. Yes, just yeah. kind of punted on his responsibility. Uh, watching his sons just totally abuse the people that they should be serving. Mm-hmm. They should, you know, here as priests, they need to be this go-between representing these people with God and they're not they're just totally mm-hmm. uh, misusing them manipulating them mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. even yeah, thinking of like 
going back to Saul a little bit, and you think of kind of how, you know, his self-preservation, his reliance on self, and even just thinking on how that played out with, you know, he's he's not hearing from God anymore, but then you have David who is hearing from God, but then David who's still hearing from God still flees and seeks refuge with the Philistines and how that um, kind of a moment of self-reliance and, you know, this, he devises this plan that he's going to, you know, protect himself by aligning himself with an enemy and just how that kind of played out and just kind of a low moment that turns into a high moment, but certainly a low moment uh, at the beginning of that whole episode. The scheme that he's caught in, Mm -hmm. you know, what he has to do with King Achish and but with the people of Judah, and then he finally, all right, I'm out of this situation, and I get back, and now my city's been burned, and all the people have been taken away, and um, yeah, I think another, you think about the family dynamics, mm-hmm. here's King Saul, and how he's trying to get after David, but he's manipulating his daughters, mm-hmm. you know, and giving him the marriage, and then, you know, I'm going to take him away, I'm going to give I mean, Michael to another woman, or to another man, um, what, what Saul did to the priest at Nob, mm-hmm. how he just murdered them all, um, that's a sad, that to me was a sad moment. Of course, I'm going to the meeting of Endor. Um, just a lot of, yeah. I mean, there, there's lots of ups and downs yeah. uh, within that narrative. And it, almost as if, really, I can't, it's like our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these ups, we have these downs. And I'm, I'm glad we landed on the title for the series that we did, mm-hmm. that even in all of these ups and downs, Yahweh is king. Mm-hmm. The king for his people wasn't Saul, wasn't David. It's Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think to try to summarize the book, and when we preach through this passage, uh, really, I don't know that I fully appreciated the significance of Hannah's song at, mm-hmm. the, at the very beginning, chapter 2, and how I, one of the takeaways from Hannah's song, it was, it was kind of in passing at the moment, at least in my mind as I was preparing and delivering the message, that it really establishes this theological theme for the book. Mm-hmm. And all of these great moments, these low moments, and we just kind of touch the surface on those. Hannah's song in chapter 2 really does set the theological tone and the theme that all of those highs and lows are kind of hanging upon. And I think as we, I just want to read her song and I think remind us of some of what that great theological kind of hang around the wall is. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's Hannah's, it's her prayer, it's her song, this poetic section. Hannah just says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. 
For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, even just reading that, my mind kind of like jumps to different moments. Mm -hmm. But I just want to highlight some of the things that we highlighted back when we were studying this and we were preaching about it. Uh, she's just rejoicing in God and his salvation. You know, uh, she's coming off of her own barrenness. She has her uh, um, her own kind of adversary. I'm blanking on the other lady's name. Penina. Penina, yeah, Penina, Penina. Who is like mocking her, just kind of a, an adversary to her. Mm -hmm. And But she's just choosing to rejoice in God's salvation because he's provided a son, a blessing, a gift. But she's not missing the giver for the gift. Uh, she's captivated with who Yahweh is for her. Um, I mean, here's a, an unknown woman in all of Israel, and she's having these great thoughts about who God is. Mm -hmm. She understands who God is. You know, there's no one like him. Um, he's holy, he's incomparable, he's um, immovable, unmovable, he's all-knowing. Uh, she's really expressing a lot of weighty attributes of who God is. Um, weighty attributes that many people in the book just kind of are discounting and forgetting. Mm -hmm. And I like her fascination just with how God is operating. Just um, the reversal of fortunes, in a way. And she's gone from bearing barrenness to now bearing children. Penina, Penina, I think had like seven or something, and now she's not having children. Um, the feeble now are strengthened. The hungry have food. The barren, the born seven. The mother of many now has none. The full now are hiring out because they need help or hiring themselves out. The mighty, they've been broken down. And I think that kind of, that reversal of fortunes and how Yahweh operates all throughout the book. Mm -hmm. You know, who's David? He's a little shepherd boy that his dad is like, oh yeah, he's in the field. <laughs> now he's this center of attention. Dave or Saul, look at him. He looks like a king. Mm -hmm. And look how fallen he is. Um, of course, David and Goliath, 
Uh, who's gonna defeat the Who's gonna defeat the Goliath? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the little shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. No, Yahweh does. Yeah. That's just how he operates. Uh, and then she really, <clears throat> what the, the tone that she sets, I think, and the the theme for this book, really kind of resonated and rose to the surface as David was fleeing from Saul and these lessons that he had to learn on the run, this lesson like the Yahweh is king. And I think what really resonated with me and I think with our people as we work through that is that uh, God's people, they prevail, they move forward, they find success in, in God's strength and in not their own. Um, that self-sufficiency kills. Mm-hmm. It killed Saul, literally. Uh, Eli's children, uh, his sons, when living life in our own wisdom, in our own might, in our own strength, our own ideas, our own trajectory, just our own agenda, uh, our own goals, self-sufficiency kills. Mm-hmm. The lesson that Yahweh reigns, and I think what resonated is this idea of, you know what? It's God's will, it's God's way, and it's God's way. Um, Hannah experienced that. David had to learn that. He wasn't always successful with it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the, the tie that binds all of those great moments and those low moments is prevailing is found in finding your sufficiency in God and His strength, not in myself. And it's going to be God's will, God's way, and God's way. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I thought it was a great study. Yeah. Uh, and I think yep. this song really... It was it was enjoyable to slow down and work through it versus just reading through it through, through a reading plan, yeah. you know, and yeah. just kind of blowing through it, if you will. So it was, sure. yeah, yeah, seeing all the highs and the lows and seeing that common thread uh, was really neat. Yeah, so we start here in a couple of weeks to study through Romans, and we'll when we get a little break in that, we'll summarize that. So anyway, I just encourage our people maybe at some point over these next couple of weeks. Just take the book of 1 Samuel, read it in one sitting, and uh, just kind of remind yourself of the lessons that we learned as we look through it, all right? Sounds good. All right, so the next episode, God bless, and we'll listen to you then.